Layovers Flight 004 to Geneva. Hi, Alex. Hi, How are you? hi, Geneva. Exciting. Ah, that's just my hometown. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, lots of stuff to say about that one. Uh, we could also call this one the John Biggs episode because our dear friend John Biggs from TechCrunch has been telling us that the sound was still not over there and uh, we've made some tests last week. The tests were not live if you heard us on the podcast. We're hoping that this time that, that uh, the sound will be fun and good. Uh, we'll, both of us will know it at the, at the end of the recording, but I'm sure it's going to be uh, working this time, so you'll see a vast improvement Yeah, fing on fingers it. crossed. Fingers crossed. Yeah. And thank you to John for all of the tips and tricks. Yeah, and I also want to give a shout out to Jeremiah Aryang because he's also been giving us a lot of feedback, uh, also a lot of encouragement. So that's very uh, nice to hear. There's a lot of other people on Reddit, on Twitter, etc. We'll have a few shout outs during this episode. So moving on to the... To the news of the week, as every week, uh, the first one is a bit of a reminiscence of, you know, the usual competition between countries and continents. Uh, you know, you, we know the story between Airbus uh, versus Boeing, but this time it's basically the Gulf Airlines versus everybody else. Uh, so we'll have a, a few uh, U.S. airlines, the four major U.S. airlines have sent a report to the White House uh, and basically to kind of complain <laughs> Uh, that the Gulf Airlines were not playing a fair game with whether it's go when it comes for the competition, uh, and uh, there was a, then a huge spat because obviously there were some uh, reactions uh, in the U.S. Then reactions uh, from Emirates in particular, then back reactions in the U.S. It's a game of ping pong that's pretty interesting to see. But before I go into some more details, what are your thoughts about this one, Alex? Well, it 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 uh, descended into some rather nasty words very quickly. I was surprised. Uh -huh. um, there was a lot of, you need to improve, American Airlines in general need to improve. The only reason why you can't compete is because generally you're terrible. Um, <laughs> I mean, it didn't say that specifically, but it was it was very aggressive de uh, and defensive words in, in, in many regards. I was surprised how quickly it escalated. Yeah, it's, it's a very touchy subject. So the, the report basically... Uh, says that uh, obviously Emirates and others, Qatar and all the Gulf Airlines are subsidized. That's what he hints at. Uh, it even says that apparently Emirates would be subsidized to the amount of $40 billion, which is a lot of money, which obviously then the CEO of Emirates said, oh, it's laughable. Show me how we're actually subsidized. And he went into his own numbers. The same number is actually provided a few months ago because on the EU side has been also a complaint, I think it was Lufthansa Air France and a few others went to the European, European Commission and also uh, talked about unfair regulations to which the CEO of Emirates had replied, for instance, that what, is, what are we talking about? What we're talking about the uh, uh, recapitalization of the pension funds for Lufthansa. <laughs> so it's always funny to see. It's very hard to take sides here because it, this is extremely complex. Uh, all airlines have been at, at the moment in time subsidized, whether it's in the US, uh, whether it's obviously in the Gulf, whether it's in Europe. A lot of airlines actually been born out of subsidies because they were state-owned airlines. Uh, some of the airlines in the Gulf are still state-owned, it's, it's true. But for instance, one of the arguments uh, against uh, US airlines in general would be that uh, Chapter 11, so the, uh, the bankruptcy um, proceedings, are a form of subsidy. Uh, Ostet aid. Uh, SAS in Europe uh, was recently uh, complained against for having received some type of state aid for also some restructuring. So it's a very, very touchy subject. But it's true that the focus of this of this debate has been 
uh, directed towards the Gulf Airline because simply they're very successful. Yeah, and, and, and your point about the bankruptcy is an in interesting one. And that's what Tim Clark came back with and said, I challenge you on where you got that $40 billion number from. And also, all of you major US carriers have in some form or another been bailed out by the government. So how is that any different from what you were accusing us of? Uh, so it was it was a very strange argument, indirect argument, um, that I, I, I'm i not entirely sure what either party was trying to achieve other than making themselves look kind of petty and small-minded. <laughs> At the same time, it's interesting that there was a kind of unholy alliance in the U.S. because yes. that report that was made to, to, to the White House with, comes both from the corporates, from the U.S. alliance, but also from the unions at the same time, which is very rare to see them on the same same side. Yeah, very <laughs> rare. And for United and Delta and American to all be singing from the from the same song sheet, very, very weird. But it's in uh, at the end, it's also basically they're putting uh, a dent into the Open Skies Agreement. So the Open Skies Agreements are basically some kind of free trade agreement for for um, airlines. So you basically can. Uh, uh, fly pretty freely from one point to another, uh, and it's true that the Gulf Airlines have, have been starting to uh, to see a very big increase in the U.S. The, the report says that the share of booking from Gulf Airlines went from one to thirteen percent overall. So it's a big increase. Mm. And I guess they were so afraid, and I guess they also reacting because uh, Emirates is starting its route from Milan to New York, so they're not only traveling from Dubai directly to the US, but also are looking into other routes to the US. And suddenly that scares, I'm sorry to use that term, shit out of US airlines to say, oh, okay, so they're starting basically to go so big as to not only cater for the Middle East, but to cater for everywhere. Yeah, I, th I think this is a really interesting topic. I, th I think uh, I'm going to go out on a limb and suggest that we, uh, we do a whole longer segment on this at some point and talk about deregulation and open skies and fifth freedom and all of that, because it's a question that comes up a lot. You know, why can I fly Air New Zealand from LA to London, but I can't fly Cathay from, you know, somewhere that's not originating in Hong Kong? It's, it's a very good question. I think it's something that we should explore more. Yeah, in terms of competition, I just wanted to mention, and we'll, you're right, we should do that. There was a, another report I've read recently that says that if you ag aggregate the top four airlines in the US, it's 83% of the market. Uh, that same number of the top four airlines in Europe is only 39% of the market. So it is interesting how the deregulation in the US has led to a huge consolidation. And suddenly now it's, so you have on one side a very heavy consolidation within the country and at the same, at the same uh, time, a fear of competition from, from abroad. And I'm going to finish on a very funny sentence from Qatar, the Qatar Airways uh, CEO would say, who said, uh, it is like you open a shop and there's a neighbor who's already established. Everybody knows him, so they mostly go there. You have to do something different for people to come to your shop. We attract customers by giving them a wow product. Oh, ouch. Wow, ouch, yeah. So we'll do we'll do a segment of that. Moving on uh, to an aircraft. Uh, go ahead. Yeah, so the, uh, there was a report in the Wall Street Journal recently that suggested that Boeing was considering reviving the 757, an airplane that it stopped making over 10 years ago. It's a it's a great airplane. It served its purpose for and continues to serve its purpose uh, for a very long time in, in a great I don't know how many of you have flown on the 757, but you will you will not experience an acceleration and climb uh, in any other type of commercial aircraft than you do with the 757. It's, it's a great airplane. But with the advent of more efficient longer age 737 variants 
the and the 787 and 777 projects, there wasn't a whole lot of space left. So they stopped it. And so this report was very interesting that they were considering re-engining the 757 or creating a uh, uh, an NG version of it. Uh, and the, the, the argument put forward by the Wall Street Journal was pretty interesting. But almost days after that it went out, Boeing came out and said, no, we're, at, we're not doing that. <laughs> we're just categorically not. But it was interesting to hear Boeing say that they had considered it many, many times, but that the economics just, they don't stack up. Um, they- yeah, well, I, I, I think one of the reasons is a bit of pressure because there's one of the biggest leasing aircraft companies in the US, Air Lease Corp., uh, actually, so the, the, the founder is very well known, Stephen Varhazy, and I think he wants to have a better, more fuel efficient aircraft, but he doesn't want to, he basically it implies that he doesn't want to pay for all the fancy stuff that goes around a, a new aircraft. He says, please make a more fuel efficient aircraft, but just do not go and make something as crazy as the Dreamliner. Yeah. That's um, basically a bit what he says. And this is why I think that was a bit of the pressure uh to to boeing to say come on re-engine do something that is cheap for us for because you know the economy is not that great we also cater to a lot of low low cost airlines and we don't need all the fancy stuff around it it's an yeah it's really interesting because boeing's boeing's argument is is a sound one that they just don't they don't see the market for this the there's 500 unbelievably there's 550 passenger 757 still flying but only 50 to 80 of those do transatlantic traffic that exceed the range of the of the of the longest range 737 or an a320 neo so they said look the, people are using the 757 and if they're not they're just going to use a 737 or, or an a320 so there's there's a very limited market for that and apparently what they are focusing on is filling the space between the seven the, the longest range 737 and the 787-8 now again it would be interesting to see if there's a, even a market for that uh, one point, though, you just mentioned the A321 uh, and uh, 737. So the A321 Neo clearly beats the crap out of 737 MAX 9. I mean, this is also one thing is that Airbus is actually getting a huge share of the market of that single ale type of airplane. Uh, the, A- the A318 uh, Neo is selling very well. Airbus has just announced the same version with the LR, so the long range version. And there's maybe also something that maybe Boeing should react there because they're, they're, they seem to be losing the market. I think uh, they were, Airbus had a, like a very, they, they also more than double their market share in less than 10, 15 years. So there's, there's something to that story that we haven't seen yet. Yeah, I don't, think, I don't think we've heard the end of this because, you know, like I said, Boeing have acknowledged there is a, mar- there is a gap in the market. That, that needs to be filled and, and they are looking into it. Um, and there, I guess there's also a thing that if you, if you, um, you don't need to get a new certificate uh, for an existing model, even if it's been out of production. Correct. So that would compress the timeline to get this aircraft to market if they, if they do a new version of the 757. But uh, my gut says that they won't and they'll come up with something different. It's just, it's hard to know what. Uh, and I don't think that they know either, but it, this, I don't think we've heard the last of the, are they going to bring back the the wonderful 757? So another story that you and me will keep following on layovers. Uh, coming back to a, a, a story we mentioned last week, we mentioned um, uh, these new models like Surf Air in uh, in the, the West Coast in the U.S. There was a rise that was born in Texas 
We've heard that our beacon, which is basically exactly the same thing uh, on the East Coast. And the reason I wanted to mention that is we had a little, a little debate uh, with you, Alex, and I asked you, do you think this model will ever come to Europe? And uh, when I asked you that, you said, yeah, probably in Geneva, which, by the way, is the title of this show. But and you were actually not very far off. Oh, wow. Because I've seen one. I've Actually, I went and I've seen it's called Take Air. Uh, it's, ba it's based in, in Belgium, in Antwerp, but one of their routes is from Zurich. So you were not ah. very, very far. So we're seeing that model also uh, coming here. The, the reason I mentioned here in the news is because I had a little um, uh, discussion on Twitter with a user called Derlus, D-E-R-L-O-S, and thank you for the exchange. It was very interesting. And you use the term Air, Air Uber, uh, Uber, sorry, like, you know, like the car, like the, the car hailing service. And I would actually argue that these models are not exactly like Uber because it's not like, oh, I need something now and I click a button, I get a plane. That was the model from Air Pooler, but I was stricken down by the FAA saying that most pilots are using such a service did not qualify, they don't have the right license to fly commercially and to fly other people right so these these models are more like spotify you pay a subscription a spotify is a music subscription system so you pay and then you have all you can eat music so this is a bit the same system it's not uber it's more like i pay once uh per month and once per year and i get as many flights as i want i mean there's some caveats but don't you agree yeah absolutely i think it's it's being it's a creative way to get around some certification issues that that just weren't designed to accommodate the world that we live in frankly with the with with the on-demand nature of uh of our lives and crowd sharing and all that stuff so i i'm i'm i am delighted to be proven wrong that this model is 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 blossoming and that yeah. we could there's, two, there's only two routes there's for the moment i think it's paris to london and uh, zurich to Antwerp. I, I think so so it's very very early stage, but it's always interesting to follow. There's an uh, there's a huge opportunity here, I think, because the difference in price between scheduled carrier and charter is gargantuan, and there's there's room there. It's just again, it's it's one of those industries that there's a high uh, cost of entry. Exactly, and talking about cost of entry and cost of fuel, and we mentioned a few weeks ago SkyMall. SkyMall uh, was, you know, apparently disappearing, and apparently is reborn. Yeah, this is <laughs> already this is unbelievable. Uh, apparently, there is a there is a, a chap um, called Scott Jordan who is going to resurrect SkyMall, the very briefly bankrupt, it seems, uh, in-flight magazine. <laughs> Uh, I found out about this because a friend, a uh, Facebook friend, is involved uh, in this little project. I don't know oh, wow. wh where it is in its uh, in its infancy, or even if it's uh, literally got off the ground. Um, but yes, this this guy wants to resurrect and reinvent Sky Mall and acknowledge its sort of campness and its its you know badness, but actually kind of <laughs> use that as a as a method of entertainment and and just not just sell things, but also have content and writing and stuff like that. Um, and, it, it, and I think they, they, they want to go both, they still want to go print, so they'll still have a print edition, actually multiple concurrent different print edition, but they also want to go digital, right? Yes, which, which, which makes sense. I think that there's there's articles that you're going to want to share, and that's why, you know, that's why they were funny in the first place, and you want to propagate them. But they they have roped in um, Jim Lauderback, who, who I, I like mm -hmm. to consider a friend, who was the uh, the CEO of Revision Three and a, and really a exactly, pi yeah. pioneer in um, 
some some technology content through the 90s and, and 2000s. Uh, so it adds some serious chops to the project having Jim on board. And I'm really interested to see what they do with this. And, you know, it, is the SkyMall brand t- tainted enough uh, to the point where it can't be resurrected? Or or is it, do we have a soft enough spot for it in our in our traveling, collective traveling psyche to to welcome it back <laughs> with open arms. Um, if anybody can do it, it's these guys. So, you know, good luck to them, yeah. I say. Yeah, good luck. Exactly. I would I would definitely be enjoying this. Maybe also we have, have access to it, although not being on the US flight. So we'll see where it goes. But well, another story to follow. See, we keep having, yeah. adding new chapters for the ever-changing uh, nature of the airline industry. <laughs> Uh, next piece of news, uh, everybody's heard about it. Expedia buys Orbit, uh, $1.6 billion. Uh, it's a very large acquisition. It's not only air travel driven. The reason I wanted to mention it here is because Orbit, um, maybe you know that Alex, was actually founded by uh, major US airlines. Uh, the exception was actually only for flights. Then when the airlines uh, cut the commission system in the US, they went also to expand in hotels and all what all the other OTAs are doing. Uh, but they, I, have, I had this feeling that Orbitz was never able to find its place, which which is probably the reason why it was left open to be acquired by uh, by someone like Expedia. So Expedia is cementing its, uh, its, uh, its large share of the market and obviously going against Priceline in the US. But the point, one of the things I wanted, the, the reason I, I wanted to mention this is because the CFO of Expedia on uh, just just after the announcement of the acquisition said that for him, OTAs are clearly underinvested uh, in flight in the flight business. Yeah, that was really interesting. And I I guess what he's saying is that they've spent so much time on on other areas of the travel experience, hotel, rental cars, and everything like that, that they've neglected the flight booking experience. And Correct. I, I would suggest that the main reason for this is because the margins that they get on yeah. flights are microscopic, but compared to yeah. hotels and especially rental cars, travel insurance, vacations, cruises, where the margins that they, they, they take from those transactions is much higher. And that's resulted in poor investment from on the flight side of things. Which the other the, the other issue that they're having in, in in general for flights is that the all new economies, the all new the all new type of revenues are made for with uh, by airlines. You know, all you know, choose your seat and pay for it. You know, have your uh, they uh, get no, but yeah, uh, they uh, don't get access to that. They don't like, exactly. So you cannot do that from an OTA. You have to go through directly the airline uh, website. So what maybe will happen at some point, there will be some kind of deal to be made here, or at least they will try to reach out to the airlines and say, okay, listen, we can also sell this, 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 this for you, all these added little features that you sell to, and maybe have some type of commission. I don't know, it will never will ever happen. But the, the comment of the underinvestment in, in flight business was interesting because it might show that uh, they will, again, try to push towards uh, a better experience for uh, buying tickets for flights on on these sites. We'll see. Yeah. Or maybe even not a better experience, but more more flexibility, um, like like Kayak does with its hacker fares, where it does different legs on different carriers. A lot of the bigger OTAs, they just give you the, the kind of plain Jane search results. So this is only a good thing if they start to yeah. refocus on flights. 
Kayak, which was bought by Priceline in 2013 for 1.8 billion. Oh, <laughs> We're talking massive acquisition, acquisition. Nothing to do. Uh, Priceline also bought Open Table, I think, for almost 2.5 or 2.6 billion last year. I mean, this is insane. This is another type of consolidation. Uh, from consolidation to flight experience and uh, a very a nutty flight experience. Oh, well played. Well, that was easy. Come on. <laughs> so you might have heard uh, a few weeks before our, our little podcast got going that. A uh, an executive on a South Korean airline or Korean Air um, was given a bag of nuts, a bag of nuts, um, and was so furious that she was given a bag of nuts that she didn't ask for, ask for, and that the bag of nuts was a bag and not served in a bowl. That she demanded that the airplane go back to the gate and the offending uh, f- uh, flight attendant be removed from the aircraft. Uh, th- it was a crazy story this when it insane. happened, and we all were like, "What?" Wow, Okay, that's a little bit over the top, but uh, it turned out that this executive was also the daughter of the chairman of the airline and the Korean authorities took her to court over it. Um, And she's now been sentenced to a year in prison for interfering with flight safety. And I guess they got her on a technicality because while the plane was still on the ground, being pushed back and still actually attached to the tug, it was... The, the the plane was classed as in flight. Yeah, in flight. Correct. So they were, was so the, they were, they were able to say, oh, safety is disrupted. Safety is disrupted, and they they threw the book at her, and she's been she's been fired from the company, and she has been she's going to go to jail for a year for this. But I I I, I would I would say I, I was talking about this story. So I work uh, I collaborate with the Korea Institute uh, of Startups and, Entrep- and Entrepreneurship. Um, this, uh, it's an initiative for the South Korean government. So I interact with a lot of South Koreans, and uh, and that story you know was obviously very big, but it was. Big also because it, there's a huge debate about the type of corporations and the type of relationships between, you know, government, the type of, you know, having your daughter as an executive. These are the type of stories. This is why it resonated that much in in, in Korea. And I think, I mean, even for us, obviously, listening to that kind of story is, is obviously, it godsmacks us. But I, I think it's, it goes beyond this in South Korea. I think it goes, it's almost a national debate about, how do we, you know, all these, you know, monsters from Samsung to Korean Air, all these big companies were created. And I think this is where the debate is taking place now there. Yeah, it seems to have really moved that entire conversation about nepotism into the into the yeah. the public psyche, which is which is interesting. So I think they were pushing for 10 years in jail for this, uh, this for this insane. infraction, which is insane. So I think, you know, years, I don't know. I, I don't know what's an appropriate punishment. It was certainly a bizarre behavior and I think as as a couple of articles have suggested, the humiliation is probably worse punishment than than going to a jail for oh, a year. Yeah. Oh yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm sure. And at the end of the day, and I'm not making any excuses. I mean, she was also brought up like that, probably. Yeah, so that's a good yeah. that's a good point. <laughs> Uh, a follow-up to a, 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 a big story here in Europe, IAG buying Aer Lingus. So um, we said, I think it was two episodes ago, so IAG is a company behind uh, British Airways in Iberia. Uh, so uh, Aer Lingus, the board said yes. Uh, Ryanair is furious. <laughs> Ryanair has, so the government, first of all, the government of uh, Ireland has a stake in, the, uh, in Aer Lingus. There's a debate right now. Will they actually be selling that stake or not? Be obviously pushers for it. 
So there's 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 still a very big debate in Parliament as to which they will agree to this uh, to this sale. Uh, obviously, there's a lot more involved here. So. Uh, one of the two things uh, first is the other airports. So there's a Cork airport, a Shannon airport, so heavily reliant on Erlingus. They will basically not die, but have a huge problem if Erlingus were to divest. Thus, they've asked for guarantees to uh, from BA. BA basically said of IAG, sorry, said, okay, let's I will guarantee your slots for five years. And the other thing from was that, you know, like you mentioned, Alex, uh, last time, um, the, one of the big pieces in uh of of interesting piece in is the stories the ba no sorry the, the landing slots at uh, london Heathrow, and uh also uh, here iag said okay the landing slots that belong to Aer Lingus will be kept for Erlingus for at least five years i think they, they, they don't want to go beyond five years of promises for some it's not enough for some it is we'll see where it goes but ryanair is furious because ryanair at the same time went on uh, had a court order uh, they basically are ordered under EU rules, competition rules, to sell their stake. They are, are 30% almost, and the EU said basically, oh, you have to go to 5%. So not only they're not being able to buy Erlingus, but they're losing their share. Yeah, I can't imagine that Ryanair is very happy about this. Uh, <laughs> I, my gut says this deal is going to go through. It's just going to take a little bit of time, and there's going to be some intense lobbying on both sides. But I, I, I can't imagine that it would have progressed to this stage with both sides of having done their due diligence and it fall apart because of, you know, uh, issues like this. And, you know, I'm, I'm glad that they are making employment and, and job protection a part of this deal. I think that's hugely important, especially in the travel and airline industry, but I have a feeling this one's going to go through. Yeah. It's not it's just more bargaining now. Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, putting their cards uh, back to, uh, Airbus, the year 380, we have we mentioned it today yet or not? No, I don't think so. I don't think so. But uh, it's one of when, when, when the A380 was first launched, everybody's imaginations ran wild about how it was going to be used and what it was going to look like and everything like that. And once once the launch customers had unveiled their cabins and, you know, they, they were so far ahead of the game uh, because they had an, a, a clean canvas to work with. So we all then started thinking about. I wonder if anyone is going to get this as a private plane in like 10 or <laughs> 10 or 15 years. Well, it didn't take 10 or 15 years for somebody to order one. It took uh, before it was even launched. I think somebody who had ordered one back, all the way back in 2007. The first order for a VVIP A380 was placed by a Saudi prince. And I love this story because when he arrived uh, at Airbus to place the order or sign the order he oh, yeah. he, he arrived in his own 747-400 so, <laughs> so the guy knows how to make an entrance and and this this story original story of the of the uh, of the order taking place the the media went crazy speculating what it was going to have and what what was confirmed and what was denied and there were there were th people were saying uh, that this particular plane was going to have a concert hall with a grand piano, a hammam <laughs> steam room, uh, a full size boardroom featuring a large per large perspex table which doubled as a huge touch screen, ample parking space for a Rolls Royce, and it went on and on and on. All these artist renderings of of kind of aeronautically impossible structures yeah. inside of an airplane. Well. Let's have a swimming pool. Right, exactly. And actually, Airbus even came out and said, there will be no swimming pool. It is impossible. <laughs> but, you know, but then, so here we are eight years later, and this airplane 
never materialized. It was apparently the deal was the, was signed. The prince then sold on sold the the rights to the airplane. There's a six thousand square foot internal cabin space on an A380. It was never designed nor installed, so it just sat there. It was it was a uh, a flight test A380 that, that they had then resold. So now Airbus have it back, and they really don't know what to do with it. Um, and they actually, I, th I think originally the um, Prince Al Walid bin Talal also wanted has a, had an interest in two. Uh, he certainly has the money, uh, that's for sure. Uh, you, there was actually, I, and I think I posted that on layovers a few months ago, uh, Lufthansa Technik has, uh, made, I think it was obviously uh, CGI, so it was uh, not an actual interior of the A380, but made how would uh, the A380, VVIP A380 look like. I'll put it in the notes. It's pretty mad, yeah. you know, pretty mad, obviously. But, and I think I'll, I'll, I'll also find those... For those who don't have the uh, understanding of what these planes can be, there some planes actually exist. You just mentioned the 747 that the same prince has. And I'll try to find some pictures and put them in the notes as well, because what seems to be complete science fiction is actually not only science fiction. I mean, some of the, 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 the pictures you can see about these planes, how, how these planes are made, obviously not the A3D, but mostly 747s, is just insane yeah, already. Absolutely. <laughs> Uh, well, and I think we'll have a, we'll maybe at one point made a, a small segment on all the, because there are several 747s, you, Alex and I, we both like them. There's a, several of them actually used uh, by VVIPs in the world. So it's, it's pretty, it's, it's pretty, pretty fun story to, to follow. Yeah. Uh, going to innovation, the, the innovation part of the show uh, first, and I think that many of you listening to us might have seen it, is that JetBlue uh, we'll start accepting Apple Pay. So Apple Pay is basically uh, you paying with your iPhone 6, iPhone 6 Plus, and soon the Apple Watch. Uh, so you'll be able to use your phone to buy, you know, booze, food, and whatever upgrades at JetBlue. Uh, is it something you're looking forward to, Alex? Yeah, I think this was an inevitability, and it was really a, a race to the finish line for the first few airlines and retailers to to milk any PR out of this before it becomes entirely ubiquitous. But it doesn't surprise me that JetBlue were on top of it. They're a very uh, innovative and nimble airline, even considering their size. So, so good for them. What, yeah. What, what yeah, what, one other thing that is actually very interesting is that uh, one very major roadblock for paying with a credit card uh, within an airplane is the absence of live link. So there's, there can be uh, more fraud uh, whilst you're paying with a credit card because, you know, when you pay with a credit card, there's a credit card check being done. Uh, I'm, I'm saying not in a flight. There's a credit card check being done very quickly. So they were able, uh, most airlines were able to lower fraud by using a system of blacklists, a system, you know, the very, uh, very aggressively uh, lowering fraud. So it wasn't a big problem anymore. But Apple Pay, and I'm not talking about JetBlue, but in general, and coming back to your SkyMall story earlier, having a system that is more secure within the plane can also entice uh, airlines to sell items that are more pricey and to say not only sell, you know, like food and booze, but maybe go again into what we had maybe back in the 70s and sell much bigger stuff. Like in sometimes, if you guys are listening to us, I've, I've flown to Japan, you can see in their, in their magazines, you can buy really expensive, expensive things. Sorry for my, 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 my French here, uh, expensive things. And that's the reason that you cannot is because of airlines being afraid of having fraud and having someone with a credit card is not actually valid. Yeah. But having a system like that would actually maybe push towards it. We'll see. Yeah, it's a, it's a, I think we're in the early days of this. It's, it's an exciting time. 
Uh, early days, another early days is uh, droves. Yeah, this, so this was an inevitability uh, that this was going to happen. The U.S. Department of Transportation has finally come up with some rules, or at least proposed some rules, for the use of commercial drones in the U.S. Um, and I, I, again, I think this is a good thing. Otherwise, you would have these... <laughs> you know, these things all over the place and they'd be in and out of uh, flight paths of aircraft, uh, of airliners and all that. So they, they put a framework in place to at least kick. So, sorry to interrupt you. Actually, Dubai Airport last January was closed for a short time because there was a drone hovering around around around. The yeah, airport. and, and uh, Heath, the they had a problem with Heathrow last year that um, several pilots reported it. So it is an issue. And I'm glad that they're doing this because the commercial ones are going to be are, are going to be big. They're capable of delivering a payload, and that's kind of why people want to use them. Yeah, but if you if you if you read the the the, the proposal, because as you can say, these guidelines are not yet uh, in force. But the, one of one of the proposal, one of the the rules would be that you have always to have the drone to in look light at of it. Sight. Yeah, you can only use it in daylight. It can't be more than fifty five pounds in weight. Max, which which mean which means which implies that in terms of uh, load delivery, uh, you you still have to have someone following the damn yeah. thing to being able. <laughs> Absolutely. So I think I think uh, this is going to get debated by people like Amazon who yeah. see this as the kind of last mile solution to a lot of delivery problems. So going to be something to keep an eye on over the next several years that it will take to get this into law or regulation. Yeah, I'll put a link to the proposed regulation for you guys to actually watch. And also, if you want to know the current situation, there's a site called knowbeforeyoufly.org, and you have a lot of information about what you have to do with your drone. Yeah. And just as uh, just as a PSA, don't be a jerk with a drone. <laughs> That's all I'm <laughs> yeah, going to say. Well, you know, you know that thing where you're like, maybe I shouldn't be doing this. You you probably shouldn't be doing it. I love drones as much as the next guy, but uh, don't ruin it for the rest of us. <laughs> Uh, ever uh, ever had uh, Google Glass? I tried it on once and hated it. <laughs> yeah, well, me too. I tried it. Thanks, of because Robert Scoble obviously was the one who handed them to me. Uh, so Google Glass, the the, pro the project is not killed uh, by Google, but uh, the 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 product the the first product that was available for the public is. Uh, so we know where it goes, but. Amsterdam, so Schiphol, the, the airport in Amsterdam, has uh, started trialing uh, the use of Google Glass. And interestingly, not for consumers, for passengers, you and me being in the, in the, in the airline, but mostly for the, uh, the staff that is airside and actually needs a quick information that they're actually very able to, to very quickly call by looking at a plane or an aircraft to know some details about aircraft, some data of the aircraft, uh, also the name of the gate. Uh, it's... It's very it's a trial. It's very early, but that is an interesting use case of Google Glass, which is not just oh, I'm going to watch, uh, see some tweets and watch a movie, but actually having direct feed of uh, data to actually uh, enhance safety at our side. Yeah, I think we'll get there in the end. I, you know, I remember, I don't know, five or seven years ago when augmented reality was the next big thing, and we would all be using it to enhance what we we're looking yeah. at with over data overlays and everything. And in theory, it sounds a great idea. Google Glass, this is the next big thing. We're all going to be wearing them. Okay, yeah, not not so much, but we'll get there. And I think, yeah, these are applications where it makes sense to yeah, exactly. overlay, yeah. you know, oper real-time operational data in a without having to sort of look down at a screen and then look up yeah. uh, to... Yeah, it's hands-free. Exactly, and yeah. you can, yeah. And and there's a video, and I'll put it on the show notes, but, you know, you can directly see, oh, that plane contains dangerous goods. So, you know, you have you have stuff that comes to you live. Uh, uh, 
related, there was a trial by uh, JAL, uh, so Japan Airlines, uh, I think it was last year, and also f- try to find the link, where uh, they would have the maintenance crew in Hon- Honolulu Airport having Google Glass was able to live feed directly back to uh, the HQ in Tokyo to say, oh, like, uh, um, to in, uh, sorry, I lost my thread of thought here, to actually push the information back to Tokyo. So there was like, oh, we are able to see, oh, what happens in maintenance of the plane at Honolulu Live. So these are small applications. It was also a trial, small applications that can actually make a very big difference. That, and actually that, that moves very elegantly onto the, to the next story, which is about electronic flight logbooks. Um, so not electronic flight bags, which are basically, and I'm oversimplifying here, but they're iPads with procedures and manuals and processes for, for the flight deck crew. Um, BA have become the first uh, uh, airline, a 787 operator to use and be certified electronic logbooks, which means that they can, instead of handwriting any fault that the crew notice, they enter them into the system, which is also matched against oh, nice. in-flight data, both in the cockpit and for the rest of the airplane as well, which makes it all so much easier to to re- not only capture, but um, match against system output and then send, as you were just saying, send back to operational and maintenance HQ for diagnosis in, in real time. Um so it's, it's, it's great. And I think we're going to be, it's obviously a lot easier to do this on a plane like the 787, which is a, just a yeah, giant right. computer with wings. Um, yeah. So it's easier to sort of, to do this from the beginning of a very small fleet than to reverse engineer it onto, onto a bigger fleet. But it's, it's a neat thing. And I think hopefully will improve the dispatch reliability of the 787 even more. And this is not a trial. This is something that well, actually is yeah, going this live. Is live. This is live. They, they, yeah. They've received the certification. They're the first. Um, and so it means that like, it, if a plane is coming in with an issue, the gate crew, can, the, the, the maintenance guys can be waiting at the gate with all the parts and documentation that they need to fix the problem without having to write it in, come in, read the, read the pilot's scratchy handwriting, and then go and fix the problem. So it's a good idea. It's a good idea. I'm, I'm, I'm sure low-cost airlines would love that because it would allow planes to actually, you know, go. Yeah, turn, absolutely. Faster, Turnaround you know? times, you know, even <laughs> with issues fans, would yeah. be would be reduced. Yes, exactly. Uh, something lighter. Uh, you know, you meant we mentioned earlier today the the VVIP A380 and 747s, and you know these crazy layouts. And t- talking about crazy la- layouts, you know, T- Thompson Airways. As apparently in Greenlit, uh, a family booth. So you would see, you would basically think about like when you're traveling in a train and you have these four seats uh, facing each other. This is exactly what you'd have in a plane. I feel like they had that like in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. No? Yeah, yeah. That's the, actually the. I don't. I wasn't born. But the pictures <laughs> show that. <laughs> but. I mean, one thing is, first of all, is it just just an, an announcement? And you know, you know, there's always been announcement about amazing new seats or experiences in planes, but we're still talking Thompson is the LCC. So do they really do not want to just maximize the place? I mean, I, I'm not sure that at the end of the process, when those were supposedly be installed in then uh, in their 737 Max, which are coming up, they will just say, oh, you know what? Let's cram as many seats. Are they actually doing this? Or are they, is this just like something that they've proposed? The, that's the thing. The it's the word that was used during that conference, it was the, the Future Travel Experience Europe conference that happened last week, was it's greenlit. So it's there. Mm. 
I don't know, you know, I, it might just be something that says, yeah, we have the possibility and within the next three years when they actually have to do it, they might just it, backtrack. I mean, it is a good idea. It's, I mean, purely from an, ex- I love it, from an experience know, yeah. perspective, it's a great idea. As you say, from a, you know, revenue per seat mile and all, and all that, maybe not. But, you know, I, I would love to experience I have two kids, so it's, it, I'm a huge believer in this. Oh, yeah, yeah. I would love it. Uh, exactly. We'll see. I mean, another story that will follow. Uh, talking, you just mentioned the uh, 50s and the 60s, and there are, we are coming up to the 60th anniversary of Lufthansa. And what are they doing for so it? So for four shows in a row, we have somehow been able to mention the 747-800. Yeah. And here we are again. So, yes! <laughs> so Lufthansa, uh, for their anniversary, are painting one of their brand new 747-800s in a retro livery from uh, in, in the same style as when they first received their their fir- very first 747 in the 197 in 1970 70s. actually and it looks that. great Amazing. it looks so so good it they and i have to give lufthansa credit because they have done quite a few of these retro jet liveries actually yeah i i spotted one at on in frankfurt a few months ago i was it was an a321 i yeah. think I have a picture somewhere on my phone. It was amazing. And they've done they they did the smaller twin jets in the same style as they did like the DC threes and the DC fours. So beautiful old school yeah. liveries. This one has got the like the seven four eight's got the 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 lovely kind of seventies retro chic. It looks so good, and I'm so the only glad the only difference is the still. the absence uh, the absence of the metallic part yeah. because obviously with it's composite <laughs> planes nowadays. It's like AA, like American Airlines cannot redo like their chrome type of planes anymore because of the new materials. But it looks amazing. So just for those listening, uh, so although I just said that Lufthansa is uh, going for so. Lufthansa is not only 60 years old. It's this anniversary is when they restarted operations after the Second World War. I think Lufthansa in a form or another is actually much older, I think for the 20s. I'm not exactly sure. I have to look it up. But so they will, the 60th anniversary is coming up on April 1st. Uh, it's not an April Fool's joke. Uh, and Lufthansa has always been amazing at doing, at boosting the 747 when they actually received, I think they received the meal, the I think it was one of the landmarks uh, 747 that we seen from Boeing last year. They made a huge uh, mini website, like videos. Of That's the good. I'm glad that pilot. somebody's still cheering the 747. Yeah, they're really pushing that plane, and I'm really, really happy about it. Uh, coming back to more crazy things, and it's going to be shorter, but um, in the same conference that uh, I just mentioned about Thompson and having this family booth, Ryanair is actually was talking about smartwatches, and you're like, what? You even have a, an iPhone app. <laughs> so, uh, for those who don't know Ryanair, Ryanair started as a very uh, an airline that had almost nothing. You, you could go just to their website, and it was it. And it seems that in the past few weeks, month, uh, they've been actually going to like a more softer side of Ryanair and saying, okay, well, they had actually run an, an ad recently in a newspaper to thank their customers. They're actually promising a new I, uh, iPhone and Android app to make the experience better. They said that their website will actually be clearer. Uh, so that's a and they just said, oh, well, looking into preparing ourselves for a smartwatch world, smart world when people could have a better experience in actually checking in the plane, et cetera, et cetera. So it's interesting change. I don't know if it's just words, if they actually do it, but it seems to be that they, they are going in a direction, maybe they are understanding that they reached their limits 
on being that you know rough airline can be. I, 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 what do you? No, think? I, I, I haven't flown on Ryanair in a long time. I think I'm going to be flying them next month, so I will report back after that. <laughs> Without a smart first though. Yeah. <laughs> uh, short, very short news. First, both Alex and I loved the video. There was a Swiss International Airlines released a video uh, with an E320 actually slaloming on the Swiss Alps with F5 Tigers. It's breathtaking. Yeah, it's extraordinary footage. Yeah. So I'll put the link. Uh, Starbucks uh, is, uh, sorry, Delta is expanding their Starbucks initiative. So you'll have Starbucks on every flight uh, that you take uh, on Delta. I know, I don't know if it's a good or a bad idea. Um, I, I'm gonna, I, I'm okay with Starbucks, uh, to be honest. So I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna bash them. <laughs> uh, uh, no, actually, yeah. I mean, come on. We live in the UK. What do you do? Do you actually do you drink instant coffee? Alex? God no. I'm not a coffee. <laughs> Everybody snob, does. By any stretch of the imagination, but. I'll post something on layovers about the statistics of, of instant coffee uh, uh, consumption yeah. in this country. It is extraordinary. It is. Uh, and United, uh, United Airlines uh, is testing a new website. And the, the, the reason I wanted to say that, that the, there was a blog post about it. It looks like Windows Metro with boxes and stuff, but that's not the part. They had a, a few stats. They have more than 2,000 users per minute. Wow. Uh, they're doing $1 million revenue per hour, which is actually on the website. It's, it's interesting that they would release that that information yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, but what you might like, Alex, is that now when you actually do a flight search on United Airlines, you will also have uh, information about the aircraft. You will now know the what kind of engines are on the aircraft. Huh. So they will tell you that, oh, on this uh, 757-200, you'll have... Rolls-Royce engine. I mean, these are the small stuff that it will add. I'm sure a lot of, you know, air geeks will love that. Yeah, I mean, I like to know exactly the model number, or not model number, but yeah, the type of airplane that I'm flying on. So I don't want to know that it's a 737. I want to know what type of 737 it is. I kind of don't care about the engines, but maybe other people do. I was booking a flight recently on a on a aggregator, and it said... Um, this flight is frequently 30 minutes late. Oh, yeah, I love that. That yeah, is yeah. super useful because I was looking at tight yeah. connections too. So Exactly, exactly, yes. Especially for me, though, it's always, there. It's yeah. always late. <laughs> uh, moving on, app of the week. Uh, so, do you talking about a tight connection and losing a flight? Uh, so... There's this whole thing about passenger rights. What do you? What happens where your flight is either overbooked, and you don't have a seat in it, whether it's a, the flight is canceled, or where the delay is huge. Uh, so there, there are many regulations. We're not going to go over all the regulations, but basically in the European Union, uh, in case of overbooking and or cancellation, you have a rights. You actually you can actually ask for cash, hard cold cash, or a voucher if you yeah. prefer a voucher. Uh, for uh, there are many rules that I'll, I'll put uh, the link for the on the on the show notes. In the U.S., it's a bit more blurry. Uh, they are also we can actually complain and have stuff, but it's always difficult to do this. Uh, there's this app called AirHelp that it is both an iPhone and I think also Android app, and it also there's a website. And if you if you think that your flight has been, if you think that you have a right to uh, uh, to complain and a, possibly a right to get compensation. You do that on the website, and the website does the work for you. So they take a 25% uh, commission on it, but 
compared to, um, it's up to you, but compared to the amount of work that would be required to actually complain because they even go to court in case, it's actually pretty cool. What I think it's think? a great idea. And I'm so glad that you do it. I think it's a very fair price as well. The, the intricacies and complexities, I'm, I feel like it's almost purposefully designed this way to make it impossible and you just give up uh, complaining. Yeah, I, I gave up so many times. And myself. you get, you, you get, counter offers and so we'll give you you know five thousand frequent flyer miles and you know if you're not a frequent flyer you might go is that good is that bad i don't know what i'm legally entitled to and then you try and go and find that information and it's buried in in statutes and paragraphs and all of that so a service like this that cuts through and makes sure that you're getting what you deserve by the letter of the law is can only be a good thing for the entire industry. I agree. And uh, uh, to be fair, there are other uh, services like that that I've stumbled upon. Uh, the reason I chose uh, AirHelp is that it has uh, a very good balance of the website is very nicely done. It's, beautiful. it's very easy to understand. The iPhone app is even better. I mean, you can actually very quickly get an assessment of what you might uh, get uh, uh, out of compensation. And at the same time, the coverage is uh, is also big because a lot of these uh, services obviously centralized, centralized on Europe because Europe has clearer rules on it, the EU, uh, whereas AirHelp will also help you in the United States. So I think, and, and also in other countries, I have not tested, they say Russia, for instance, I have no clue where the passenger rights are in Russia. <laughs> but uh, it's uh, it's interesting. And I think that uh, you you give it give it a shot uh, if you have if you think that your flight has been uh, if you've been unduly managed your uh, give it a shot I think it's really absolutely worth it. topic of the week uh, so la compagnie yeah I can use my French <laughs> <laughs> that's beautiful <laughs> yeah so this is an interesting topic the 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 design air which is a blog that we both love um, posted an article last week about business, all business class carriers. And it got me thinking about that concept as a, as a whole at the last decade in the last decade, there were loads of them. They seem to be popping up every month, every month. There was max jet EOS, uh, a silver jet, um, and loads more all over the world that, that thought, right, we're going to get older model 757, 767s and put, um, what they would call business class seating in them. A lot of them were the old school style business class seats as well. And a lot of them actually failed. Yeah, all of them did. Every single one of those ones failed. Um, <laughs> they didn't last. There was also one called Hong Kong Airlines, I remember. Yeah, Hong I Kong Airlines. So, yeah. um, but anyway, they all failed. They all failed. And yeah, they all on. failed. Yeah, they were all failed. Okay, so there was one um, that turned into, that was acquired by British Airways. And oh, so la, uh, uh, come on, let me, it's another French word, l'avion. So it was basically, I think it was, and I'm not entirely sure, but I think it was the same people behind La Compagnie, which is a new, new airline we're talking about today, did l'avion in 2008. But the, the, the reality is that, yeah, it was business only, but very quickly they had some kind of premium economy in some kind of economy. So basically at the end of the day, it was like another you know, other aircraft because you are, if you look at, it became Open Skies. Open Skies is the company that British uh, British Airways has a subsidiary yeah. that bought. And it only and flies. It flies Paris to Newark. Yeah, and if you go on the website, you can see there are three classes. So there's not an only business class. So yeah. La Compagnie, which is just, <laughs> it's just a regular airline. <laughs> 
Exactly. But, but actually, they're trying their shot again. Maybe uh, some people could, could, could say that, you know, 2008 wasn't a good time because the financial crisis was in full swing. So obviously, it was doomed to fail. So they're trying their luck again. What's different this time? Uh, not from what I can see, not a whole lot. Um, what what's interesting to me about this is that I there's got to be a market for this. I can't understand how how no one has done it, and then no one has done it well. I I think that when you step on board an airplane and you see how packed the business class is, there's a market there for that type of of, of traveler. But my guess is a lot of those people are there on operational upgrades there are on frequent flyer upgrades so really what i'm saying is the percentage of, the, of those people who are paying full fare is probably pretty small compared to the size of uh, of the cabin but these guys as you say la compagnie and i can't say it nearly as elegantly as you do uh are trying <laughs> again and they are going um with this business class layout at, with you know good food and reasonable seats but the thing yeah i mean re you said reasonable seats they're they, they're good honestly i've never set foot on, on this plane yet but they the market has moved on even air france and lufthansa and i'm not bashing these two in particular but they were a bit late in moving on from their old type of seats to new kind of business class seats uh they're moving on and these are seats that are good i'm not saying again for the price because it's a very competitive price it might be actually good enough but what i'm afraid is that decisions how do you decide to actually book a plane especially through corporate like if you have a travel agent that is given to you by your your company will be dealt with you know they have they have uh, pre pre pre-made alliances that there's a lot of other factors that are frequency going to, what would you yeah, why would you actually go to a new airline that is not part of any alliance? I mean, I, I, I would love, like you just said, that somebody cracks this up and actually makes it work. And I think because that you would have to have market. an incredible amount of money to do it. I think it feels to me that the mistake a lot of these guys make is that they're operating their new route from Luton Airport to Newark. Newark, I get. Newark is good for getting yeah, into New is. York. JFK is a nightmare uh, to get to get into. But Luton, if you're a business traveler, are you going to want to leave the city of London and go all the way to Luton, which is basically in frigging Norway, you know, to, to catch a flight? <laughs> no. And I think that they're really doing themselves some damage by... Uh, but Lut 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 come on, Luton also has a lot of private jets. It has a lot of, it does have a lot of private jets because the landing fees are so much lower than Gatwick and oh, Heathrow, course. and the runway is longer than London City. But speaking of London City, the quiet underdog in all of this is that when BA retired the Concorde, that flight number, that special flight number BA001, was then given to an all business class A318 or 19 which flies only London to New York. And it what it stops in, in Ireland, in Shannon, to refuel ostensibly, but also so you, can, could, you can clear U.S. immigration in Ireland. Uh, in Ireland, yes, exactly. So you get on your business class airplane, all business class airplane with your great seats and your great food at an airport that is 10 minutes from your, you know, your office in the financial capital of London, you pre-clear immigration. And when you get off in New York, you're coming in through a domestic terminal. You don't have to worry about yeah. awful. That on all it's levels amazing. makes total sense. Yeah. 
it will be very hard for La Compagnie to compete against that. I mean, I, I wish them luck. Their prices are indeed good. very yeah, low. Yeah, 1,000 pounds good, right? for two Let's... people return, all included. And the, pic the pictures, and some of them are on the design air, the pictures also look good. The seats look good. You know, the IFE, even though it's a tablet that is stuck on the... That drives me crazy. Honestly, it looks like a very good that product. That drives me but crazy, the whole tablet thing. It's like... Surely. Well, you, we said we said last uh, two two episodes ago that was the probably the future is having tablets. Uh, although the future is maybe bring your own entertainment, yeah. right? I mean, well, so almost, I think the, the, yeah. the BA model seems to to be really really good, and you get uh, so there's 32 people on a and, a, and a, again I can't remember. Oh no, it's a, it's got to be an A318. I'm looking at a picture and it doesn't have overwing exits. That makes me an airplane nerd. 32 seats, <laughs> uh, onboard mobile data connectivity uh uk eu and us power sockets so they've thought about the needs of a business traveler as opposed to let's make a really luxurious cabin so a very very sensible yeah. approach by by british areas there's a there's a comment by uh by ben schlappig he writes this blog called uh one mile at a time and he wrote uh, several uh, articles about this la compagnie and he he says there that uh apparently la compagnie wants to capture 40 percent uh, of the market, which is 4 million passengers a year between London and New York. And then he make, it goes into like calculating which what actually that does mean. And it just doesn't make yeah. sense because that's, he says that it's more like 2,000, more than 2,000 passengers per direction a day, which obviously no airline can actually do. <laughs> I mean, so even there, the way Man. they're they're you know they're they're marketing themselves. Oh, we're going to grab all the market is maybe over like over the top. But I wish them luck because I want really someone to uh, try to crack that nut and to actually make this model work. Yeah, I do too. I think my guess is that it's going to be an evolution of the BA model rather than a new carrier. Yeah, correct. And Singapore Airlines, sorry, I'm just going a little bit of tangent here. Singapore Airlines, if you hear me, please, 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 for, at least for once, reintroduce the Singapore to New York flight, old business, because it, it was the longest flight you could ever take in a commercial flight in the world, and they stopped it. It was an old, old business flight, and I want to take it once in my life. So please reintroduce it for me. It was an A350, was it? Was it A350? <laughs> no, no, oh, no, 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 Yeah, and but the, you know, it didn't make sense economically, probably, but come on, you were like for 22 hours in a plane. I want to yeah, do it once in my life. Anyway, <laughs> uh, moving on to uh, so this, this week's episode is called Geneva GVA. Uh, so the question of the week is basically, is, uh, I think you got it, Alex, is basically about airport. Yeah, flights. so it came from, from Keir Whitaker, uh, who is a, a, a friend uh, of mine and a friend of the podcast. Um, and he asked me after listening to the episode last week, what's with the weird three-letter codes for airports. So why does can why do Canadian airports generally start with a Y? Why is LA called LAX? Um, and it's a, it's a very very good question and a and a quite a complicated answer as well. Actually, yes. Um, <laughs> thanks, Kier, for I mean, making I, us I, no, do homework. Come on. Uh, the, 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 the one LAX is pretty easy. Well, right. But I mean, there's a rationale. So so the three-letter codes in general were based on. Um, in the very, very early days of aviation, they were just uh, additions to uh, National Weather Service beacons. 
Yeah, so it was LA. It was two letter, and at some point they added they needed an X that, yeah, exactly. They needed LX. some bureaucrat. So Por- Por- Portland, Portland is PDX because P and D is the first and the last letter of yep. Portland, and they added X. And the Phoenix, uh, Phoenix, PH, Phoenix. X. So when PHX, they need, exactly. when they move from two letter weather beacon codes, and then they said we need, we're getting more and more of these. The airports are springing up everywhere. We need more. So the seventeen thousand plus combinations of three letter codes ought to be just fine. So some move, they just added an X to the end of it to show that they were an airport. Uh, some, it was the first three letters of the city. So Atlanta, ATL, Boston, BOS, uh, Madrid, MAD. Singapore, SIN. Yeah, so, so these ones are pretty easy. It, actually, when you do, like we mentioned Matrix, so when you do actually search on a, a flight and on a ticket engine, these ones are the easiest ones. <laughs> because you put, by the way, if you put London, L-O-N, you'll get all, all the airports. So, for, for London. So that's pretty so cool. So that is cool. And some of them are a little bit, you know, you're going, where the heck did it come? So Chicago O'Hare is O-R-D. Yeah. And that's because the original field on that site was Orchard Field. So the O-R-D of Orchard was in there. Um, so uh, St. Petersburg. You have a, you have Charles Ch- 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 de Gaulle. So CDG, CDG because it's the name of the airport. Yep. Uh, so uh, Beijing is Peking as was as the city was formerly known. Oh yeah, that, that's, there's a lot like this. I think when I was flying to uh, to India, so it's, Mumbai used to call called Bombay. Yes, still and I think I think I, th- I think they avoid changing the name. The three oh yeah, I think too often. absolutely. So, so they they keep these names. I think is valid also for Beijing, which is uh, Peking, so P E K. So these are the old names of of the cities that were usually you know anglicized names. Uh, so you see a, a lot of these as well. And then uh, so Shalagoras in the Narita. So it's not in Tokyo. We'll take it. What, one other show will be about it. So again, it's a contraption of letters. So these ones are are easy. But you said yeah, the one like uh, uh, like you mentioned it, are very complicated because if you don't know the field. It makes absolutely no sense. Absolutely. And I think, so when these were first coming out uh, in the 30s and 40s, there were sort of these land grabs where organizations wanted to grab a specific prefix. So in the US, the Navy grabbed N. So all naval air stations started with N. So Pensacola was NPA. Uh, And then the federal government, uh, the US federal government grabbed W and K for radio stations. Q was for international uh, communication z was for or z was for special uses and so the lack of those letters any letters people had to get creative so newark yeah. ewr is the, is the middle letters of the uh of the, <laughs> um, but so canada there are some interesting theories about about canada. yeah why is it why, why is you it know, why yeah. so originally it was c it was always just you know it was c this c that and to to be honest there's no clear agreed upon explanation about Canada. And I read an interesting one that originally it was the weather station thing. And then preceding the two letter code for the registration was a Y meaning yes, where the reporting station was co-located with an airport, a W meaning without where the reporting station was not collated with an airport and a U where the reporting station was near an NDB, which is a navigational beacon. An X was used if the last two letters had already been taken, and a Z was used if the locator could easily be confused with a US three-letter ident. So, which is, sounds really, really plausible, and is even referenced in some some early documents. But even though people it, with that, people don't still don't agree on why Canada starts with 
Y and not uh, C. Now, if with the iCal, which is four letters, they do start with C. So it's C Y Y Z. Yeah, but uh, no. One if you're not those. a pilot or uh, you, you work in an airport, you never yeah, no use one, these. No you one know, uses these other those. ones. So are. it's. The, and I think there's also uh, another rule is that uh, two of those three-letter codes cannot be too close to each other to avoid some kind of, of confusion. So this is also a reason why some airports, newer, because the newer airports, the only one have the, have the easiest ways. This is why, you know, LAX will always be LAX yeah. and it's easy or, or picking is, or Beijing is picking, but PEK. But newer airports have to get very creative and they have to look at, oh, there's a list of all these thousands of airport codes and I have to find one that is not too close to another yeah, one. I, absolutely. I, so like San Jose in California was not the first San Jose to have an airport. So it's SJC and not SJO or SJE or whatever it might be, or SAN, which is San Diego. So it's same with airlines as well. Would I never thought I would Yeah, ever... we'll, we'll, go, we'll, we'll do that at yeah. once. But yeah, it's true. Airlines now... The, the, the traditional airlines is very easy. The new ones do not make any sense anymore, especially because it's only two letters. So there's they're going to numbers to actually be able to make something. But there's, uh, there's almost uh, always a reason for what might seem a random string of three letters. Uh, just correct. It, and some of them have some very nice stories behind them as well. Uh, so Akira, I hope that answers your question. I'm sure we can give you more concrete explanation of of Canada, of why Canada. But hopefully that sheds a little bit of light onto why these airports sometimes have weird three-letter codes. Exactly. Uh, and moving on, because we're on the airport subject, GVA, Geneva, uh, the first letter and the last two. So this is my home airport. Have you ever flown there? Yeah, I have a, uh, a couple of times. It's, talk about a picturesque location for an airport. Yeah, so I was born and raised there. This is why I know the airport well. So I know a few tricks. First, a trivia, piece of trivia, obviously. Uh, so the, the runway is actually extremely long. The runway is longer than a runway that you have in San Francisco. It's longer than a, slightly longer than a runway you have in Hong Kong, which is the shows that we've been doing before. It's on par with the, uh, the 9L runway here at uh, Heathrow. So it's a very long runway for an airport that is pretty small and for a city that is pretty small. It, the reason wow. behind that is obviously because in Geneva you have... United Nations, uh, you have all the bodies of the United Nations from the refugees to the international uh, uh, property, International Telecommunication Union. Uh, you have close by in Lausanne, which they will obviously use the same airport. You have the International Olympic Committee. You, so you have a lot of these bodies. Plus, you obviously have the old financial institutions. You have Nestle. I'm sure if you know your food and chocolate, you would know Nestle, which is one of the largest food corporations in the world. So all these makes it like it's a small airport, but it's not that small because they require all these, all these, uh, all, all these um, uh, to cater to all these businesses and organization. Uh, for those travel geeks, the IATA is based in Geneva, and uh, eBase, which is one of the biggest uh, business jets, uh, um, very famous business jets um, trade fair, is also happens once a year in Geneva. And something you might not know, actually, a lot of planes come to Geneva to actually take the ink for their banknotes because one of the largest companies and one of the only companies in the world that does the ink for the banknote is based <laughs> in Switzerland. Wow. Yeah, so they come here. So the large, the very, uh, the fun, the little trivia about this very, very long runway, besides the fact that it can accommodate in 747 and A380, 
is that at the beginning, part of it was actually in France. Uh, the runway. In France. The <laughs> runway itself. So what they had to do, they had to do an exchange of territory to keep the France the same side, uh, size as it was and Switzerland the same size as it was. So now the runway is entirely in Switzerland, but Switzerland gave a little bit another part of Geneva back to France to actually make oh, it equal. How funny. <laughs> so now in terms of, of uh, chips, uh, when you land... Uh, if you land from a Schengen country, so if you don't have to go through passport control, everything is fine. And you can skip the little part I'm going to tell you now. If you actually land from a non-Schengen uh, country, so you have to go through passport control. If you're in a bus, uh, which uh, it always sucks, but if you're in a bus, there are no business class bus and you know separate. But always, always, and trust me, always go to the right side of the bus. These are the doors that will open first because... The, the passport control is still old. They're moving, they're doing a new one, but still old. It can be very, very cramped very, very quickly. So go close to the door. And as soon as it opens, run into the little, the little building because that will get you uh, faster to, uh, to, the, um, to passport control. Then for transport, when you are at the belt, so before actually clearing customs, so even if you don't have any uh, bags, I would advise you, there's a one box you'll see exactly at the left of the uh, at left of customs. It's not very descriptive. It's not very well advertised. But you can press a button there and you get a free public transport ticket for 80 minutes. It's much wow. better than the cabs. The, the cabs in Geneva, sadly, and I was part of a commission back in an old job where we actually drafted a new legislation about cabs. It's not enforced yet, sadly. It's a long time. They do, most of them do not accept credit cards. So... If you have an 80 minutes uh, ticket, then what you can do, don't take the bus, which is fine, by the way, depending where you go, but take the train. Ah. Every single train that goes, that leaves from Geneva Airport stop at Geneva Central Station. So you can take whichever is the next train, unless you go skiing and then you just continue your way to the, to the Alps. But you just go to, uh, uh, to the Central Station. It's a not less than a five minutes ride and you're already in the center. Yeah, that's that's for free tip. and you still have probably... 60 minutes and overtime to actually continue your journey with probably transport, which is pretty cool in, in the city. So this is something that's really, uh, in case you go skiing, there's a seasonal terminal, which used to be the, the main terminal, which now is basically disused. And they open it uh, during the winter season uh, for all the, you know, low-cost airlines are coming for to, to, to transport you to skiing. So I've never seen it uh, because I've never flown through there, but it's actually uh, open only seasonally. Then... When you go back to and you want to take off from Geneva Airport, uh, a few tricks. For security is not great, so have some time. But when you arrive at security, because of the way it's, it's located, most people, because we all heard, you know, the herding behavior, we see the first door and we go there. There's the first of course, there's a, a, a fast track and then there are a lot of little ways to actually get into security. Go at the far end because usually people just stack at the very beginning at the far end is empty and you have probably you'd go faster through security. And even that even applies if, if you're in fast track because there's a second fast track at the opposite end, which usually is empty while the first one is not. So this is something that's actually, actually useful. But because of that thing I told you earlier about, you know, the exchange, that the fact that the runway was partially on in France, there was a special agreement before uh, the Schengen agreements happened, etc. So you have a set of gates that, nobody, that very few people know about, the F gates. So before you clear security, there are. So it was it was an agreement made that people that would fl fly into Switzerland, fly to Geneva Airport, French nationals, could go directly to France without having to enter Swiss territory. 
And the same thing, they could actually go directly from France to the airport and take an Air France, usually Air France flight. Huh. They have actually their own SF gate. We have an own little, if you're Air France, they have own little uh, business lounge, for instance, etc. The trick is, even if you don't fly Air France, because most of them are there or in France, they can be stringent sometimes, but with a nice smile, you can actually go in the F gate, even though you're not in the F gates, you're ABC, uh, ABC gates, and you will actually get there and you can cut through most oh, of the security very <laughs> and actually clever. get back to the main, to the main gates. They will not always do it, especially if it's busy. But honestly, if you're if you just give a nice smile and you know they will let you do it. I've done it several times. It works. They can be very stringent, but you never know. It's uh, it's very uh, clever. It's funny. Anyway, that's a lot of tips. You can ask me. I, I know a ton of other tips for that airport, but basically, oh, and haha, mentioning, you know that last one. You said uh, the uh, airline code. So EasyJet. What is EasyJet airline code, Alex? Uh, easy. Why? Yeah, but actually, uh, the air code uh, EasyJet in Switzerland. Yeah, it's a different company. It's EasyJet Switzerland. Oh, is it really? <laughs> so it's a different company. They have the same branding, but it's a different company because they take a. All right, we'll we'll go into that for another time. But so if you're looking for the on the on the board, you're looking for your EasyJet flight. Look for you too. Otherwise, it's just not not the bad the flight. <laughs> And on this, I think we're kind of we're going to wrap up the show. Uh, we actually went again over time. We're very enthusiastic about this, right? Yeah, that's good. Lots to talk about. <laughs> exactly. And guys, we see you next week, Alexis. Yeah, all right, and uh, stay in touch, guys. You know where to find us. Exactly. Godspeed. Bye bye.